جمال الوجود بذكر الإله وتصف الحياة بنور هدى Assalamu alaikum brothers and sisters, dear friends, how are you getting on today? Hope all is well, inshallah. Today is a beautiful day of Jum'ah. We're in the middle of December in the UK. It's pitch black. <laughs> it's only sunrise, like nine, nine in the morning, half eight till three in the afternoon. So we get six hours of daylight. SubhanAllah, it's such a short day. But being Jum'ah, we have the blessings, subhanAllah. So it's about eight in the morning at the moment, guys. Uh, I'm feeling good. Jum'ah is always a blessed day. I don't know, it's got some, the special, uh, well, obviously we've got Jum'ah Salah, but it's got this special feeling about it, even when I was a kid and we were in school and it was in Scotland here, I think maybe in the UK as whole, and we get things called a half day on a Friday. So we finish about 12 o'clock. <laughs> and for me, it was like, wow, subhanAllah, even the non-Muslims are celebrating Jum'ah. We're finishing up at 12 o'clock. We can still attend Jum'ah Salah is about 1 o'clock. So ever since then, I was like, whoa, this is even non-Muslims appreciate this day of Jum'ah. So I hope you're having a blessed day, whatever you're doing today. And the subject of the matter today comes because of, I had this conversation with two revert sisters. And the title of the, the podcast today is, Are You a Robot? <laughs> what does that mean? It means, are you practicing religion? Willingly, or are you doing it just robotically? From a young age, we're all brought up in, um, some of us reverted to Islam, but those born in Islam, we are, we pick it up from what our parents are doing. We go through it as a, almost mechanically. We do our salah, we know, we see our parents in salah. Do we know why we do salah? Possibly not. And we just go through all the motions, the celebrations, Eids. We don't even know there's multiple Eids. We just, we're just happy to get gifts. We just turn up at the mosque. We're not really sure what the celebration is, but we go along with it for years, 20 years plus before many of us realize what it is that we're doing. Now, the topic came up because I had a conversation with two revert sisters through our community on our Facebook channel. Um, you know, on our, on our Facebook channel, we do a lot of outreach. We're trying to support uh, new reverts, men and women, uh, because a big flaw of our community and our society as a whole is we, we put a lot of effort into converting um, these new Muslims. However, when they convert on the other side, it seems like there's not much of a support network and we end up just leaving them, we're just leaving them high and dry uh, to figure everything out themselves. And it seems like all the excitement and all the energy is just used up. They do the shahada at the local mosque and mashallah, everybody welcomes them and then that's it, they kind of left. So the aim of the community that we have on our Facebook channel and on our blogs and our YouTube channel and this podcast as well is, is just sharing some of those stories that that we receive. So this was earlier on in the week. It was one sister from Australia. Uh, she was in her plus 60s, um, a recent revert of about maybe six months. And she lives in Australia in this island, I think Tanzania, Tasmania. Yeah, this island of Australia. I'll have to check that out um, exactly where that is on the map. 
So she reverted about a few months ago, and I wanted to get the story because I just love hearing the stories. I love it so much because as born Muslims, we take it for granted. We we're just we're just given Islam, you know. We're just born into it, and we don't really appreciate it. So I love hearing the stories why somebody converted, the reasons and the struggles they went through to get to the point that they're at at the moment. So this sister, she's sixty plus or so, and she discovered it whilst being on holiday, as most people do, went away on holiday, African country, um, Muslim country, I assume. And then just from the, the, the practices of, of the people in that community, one thing she said to me made me laugh was when she went there, hearing the adhan every day was like really annoying to her. <laughs> She she was like, what is all this noise? Like, wake me up in the morning, a couple of times a day, in the evening. What This is very annoying. And it's a common story, actually. I hear it a lot from people, uh, Westerners that go to these Muslim countries, that, yeah, their van is, like, annoyance to them at the start. Uh, anyway, this sister, over time, she enjoyed it and started looking into it. What's this thing that these people are doing every, you know, five times a day? This thing must be really important if somebody's calling you out five times a day. And started slowly, slowly looking into it, asking the locals. And I think most of the research was done back home. It's like when you go and hold it and you see people practicing uh, a different religion or a different a practice that you're not used to, you, you gain more, just that's a spark. That's like the spark that lights it and then you have to come home and, you know, start looking, doing some research and online and things like that. And she liked what she, she heard and spe- specifically the, the part where from, she had just known Islam from the media and of course it said like, you know, oppresses women and things like that. And then when she started looking into it, you know, Islam was like, well, women have the right to be educated. They have the right to, to marry who they want. They have the right to, you know, all of these rights that women have that the media was not portraying. So that, you know, that got her more and more intrigued in, into Islam. And after a few weeks of this, she, she converted, alhamdulillah, mashallah. And when I asked her in her community how many, in this whole island, actually, she's like, she said, there's maybe 4,000 Muslims in this whole island. And, which isn't very many because it's quite a big island. And... I was like, well, okay, so how did you convert? Like, who helped you? She said, okay, well, a few local sisters, but this is from the from the mainland. They helped her convert and things like that. But in her small island, there's not there's not many Muslims, and particularly female. So there's not much of a community that she, they has here, and they're struggling a little bit to get the the regular kind of contact that they need or that she needs to kind of keep the light, the the flame alight. Um, she has support. I'm not going to say she doesn't have support. Um, but it just made me realize the, the kind of the struggle and and the they strive from people to learn Dean and the struggles they go through. And that we as born Muslims, we're kind of born and given it, and we're we've got our parents pushing us, and we've got the society around us, as in um, uncles and, and and family members, extended family, pushing us into this direction of Islam, and we're basically carried through our years get uh, with the Islam given to us on a, on a plate and some of us just refuse to accept it whilst other people are it's, it's an uphill struggle and they still 
they go through the, all these challenges. I mean, you have to tell her family. I think she's, she hasn't spoken to her family yet. She, she had spoke to me first before she had spoken to her family, and that was a cause of concern as well, how she was going to break up to her family. I mean, she's 60, so her, her family, are, uh, her kids are mature. However, just breaking it to her family is, is a, you know, how are they going to take it, how are they going to react? Uh, so that was a concern for her, but alhamdulillah, inshallah, we, we carry on. We speak to her on a regular basis, find out how her journey is going, um, and I'll get her uh, an interview on on this podcast as well and just get all the, the details straight because I pro- probably uh, blurred some of the, the information there. <laughs> we'll get her we'll get her on uh, in, in a few weeks, inshallah. And the second sister, she's from... United States, Pennsylvania, and her story is, so she is a young professional in the 30s, late 30s, with a husband. She again converted to Islam. What was what was the spark? And this was a holiday. Ah, this one was beautiful. This was her work colleagues, subhanAllah. SubhanAllah. She was observing the mannerisms of her work colleagues uh, who were very open and they spoke about Islam uh, to her and answered questions and just seen them uh, practicing Islam, praying several times throughout the workday. And it's, it's rare to see sisters praying openly. So she got an opportunity to do that. A lot of us Muslims, myself included, we feel like we need to hide or not be in the way or not to disturb anybody and kind of feel a bit awkward about, you know, praying. We want to find them the smallest broom cupboard or we want to find the, you know, smallest, yeah, cleaning room or any little tiny, tiny corner fire escape or something like that just to stay out of the way. But in reality, by being maybe a bit more, I wouldn't say open, as in pray right in the middle of the corridor, but maybe not hide it away so much, this in itself can be an act. Um, this can also be an act. We know ourselves. We don't when we're doing salah. We don't get distracted as much with people like walking past or people talking. It's not a huge distraction. I mean, we we focus on our salah as as best we can. We don't need to be in a quiet, deserted, isolated area like a library every time. We know when we're out in the world, we do salah as best as we can from where we are. There's no need for us to have to insist that it has to be in a, a mischief-like scenario, you know, peaceful, quiet, nobody walking past, all of these, this, that's an ideal, but in reality it's not. So she she was fortunate that the Muslims around her were quite open in practicing, and they done salah in front of her and spoke to her, and just through a period of time, through character from these Muslims, they she opened up to Islam and especially the part about being women being educated and they're allowed to seek their own income, they're allowed to seek their own careers. This really opened up to her as a young professional uh, in the Western world because that's one thing that media makes it seem like Islam is just detaining women to the the home and and to the kitchen and and things like that. So that, you know, she was very attracted to Islam by this and alhamdulillah then then she went forward and took her shihada and I was asked her because she's got a husband who's non-Muslim I said how did he take it and he was subhanAllah very open to it as well 
which is amazing. Like to, I said that, look, as long as your your closest and your spouse is in agreement and and supportive and loving, then the wider family. She hasn't spoke to her family yet, she, and she's concerned about how they'll take it. I said, as long as your spouse is strong and supportive, that is that is the strongest kind of pillar you have in your 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 life. And if you think about it, it's true because imagine her family were in agreement, but the spouse was not. That would be more difficult because this is the person you live with. This is the person um, you eat with, you go to bed with, you do everything with. Your finances are tied together. Everything. So I said, Alhamdulillah, as long as your spouse is is in agreement with you, Alhamdulillah, that's that's a very strong pillar of support. Um, so she is a bit concerned about opening up to her family and one specific question I asked her because us born Muslims we always want to know we want to give a good character and good image of Islam but I said specifically what is it that they did that attracted you to Islam what action did they do that attracted you to Islam so that myself and I can share with you guys we can try to implementing that in our lives because sometimes we think what is it is it because we're fasting all day is that why it attracts them they might not even see that um is it that we're doing salah is it the way we talk is it because we read quran during lunchtime is it the, the clothes we wear what is it and she said she said it was specifically just being open about speaking about islam and practicing islam which, yeah, it makes me think, what do I, I, you know, in workplaces and around my daily routine, I just think to myself, do we conceal our identity? We probably do. We probably do conceal it more than we should. Yeah, that's, that's quite powerful because we think we have to, you know, recite verses of the Quran, have hadith memorized and have verses ready to go to prove that Quran and and Islam is the true religion. But in reality, it's more simple than that. It's basically your actions. It could be your just being open and, and your character. And that those are things that we don't really need to rehearse. I mean, it's you should always have a good character and be open to Islam and be treating people the way you want to be treated in the first place. So it's more simple than that. So it made me just think about what I'm doing and inshallah you guys can implement it into your lives as well as just being a bit more open about how you practice Islam and inshallah go attract people, people that we don't even realize might convert, you know, years down the line. But just through that one action of maybe doing salah publicly or the way we treat somebody, the way we treat somebody, somebody might think, oh wow, he's a nice person. But if he doesn't know you're Muslim, it's like, there's no, there's no credit to Islam there. They need to know you're Muslim, whether it's a, a, a man keeping his beard, um, keeping his beard long, or a woman wearing hijab. These are things that are outwardly Muslim, that identify you as Muslim. So when you do a good deed, inshallah, it goes towards the uh, the good counter towards Islam. But again, but also the negative side of that as well, if you're outwardly Muslim and you do something negative, it's going to get blown up 10 times bigger and we know what the media is like and we know what public perception is like if you if you you wear a hijab and you do one wrong tiny thing the whole community gets overshadowed uh similarly with a man with just long beard wearing a, a topi he does you know some a bit of car rage or road rage 
then the whole community is, is stigmatized with these guys are crazy on the road, you know, a taxi driver or something. Yeah, so it's, uh, we just need to be careful with that. But inshallah, it makes us a bit more conscious um, of our actions and what we're saying and how we are perceived as a wider community. So guys, to get back to the main question, this was just uh, two stories of sisters we spoke to this week. The main story is, are you a robot? Are you a robot in the way you practice your religion? Are you a robot in the way that you, you see your religion? Do you go through it mechanically without thinking why you're doing what you're doing? These two sisters, these reverts, any convert to Islam, uh, I guarantee you is not a, a robot because they've practiced and they know the reason why they're doing it and they're willingly doing it. Us born Muslims, we go through the, the motions, the salahs, the fasting, the Jum'ah, Salah itself, everything is on autopilot. So I want us all, myself included, take a step back and just think why we're doing it. And even if it's just one thing, we go take a step back and learn why we're doing it. You know, in the Salah, why are we doing Ruku? What do we say in Ruku? What are we doing? Sajda, when we put our head on the floor. Why are we doing that? What are we say and what's the meaning of that one action? Hmm. Yeah, that's a thought for myself as well. Take, take a step back and think and ask and gain knowledge. Why is it that we're doing that one thing? Hmm. One reason why the Muslim community seem to be all segregated is, and the reason why I don't recite scripture or hadiths or give any Islamic, any Islamic rulings on this podcast is because as soon as one person says one Islamic ruling, you're going to get so many opinions on it. People are going to disagree. People are going to start arguing. People are going to say, where's the, the evidence for this? And the whole message is going to be lost. And that's why I'm not giving them any specific Islamic scriptures. Um, you, there's many ulama, muftis, imams that can advise you on that. Uh, I want to give you the general motivation and the the angle of we need to better our knowledge on Islam that we're not practicing everything robotically okay but I will not give you any opinions or anything like that or any scriptures because that just divides our community unfortunately okay so homework for next week guys <laughs> I love homework guys especially when it's to do with religion homework is to have a think about one aspect of the religion that you're practicing currently salah for example and just pick one aspect of it why are we doing those things one thing, why are we doing sajda, ruku? Why are we, why are we reciting Surah Fata at the beginning? What does that mean? What is the meaning of Surah Fata? That's a good one, actually. What is the meaning? Not just the literal translation of it, but what's tafsir? What is the, the story behind it? SubhanAllah. Just by knowing that, that will be so powerful to your salah. You will know why we're standing there and the meanings of it. SubhanAllah. Okay, guys. I need to get on. It's Juma Salah. I need to get prepped. I need to get going. Hope you guys have a blessed day. And I'll speak to you next time. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.